it sounds like you're laying out a bit you, you referred to a revolution it sounds like you're laying out in, in a way a vision of a of, of a new approach to actor training which would be comprehensive so in 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 your imaginary actor training utopia what what does that look like well, I mean, I've been dreaming about this for a long time, dreaming and scheming over lunch and coffees and also over bourbon with uh, beautiful friends and colleagues, Scott Miller and Liam Joint, um, as we've been riffing on this, and other people, of course, riffing on what this could look like. And, I, and I'm very thankful to those guys um, that have inspired so much of these thoughts. Um, yeah, I, I really... Well, let me preface with this. I, I've been a bit of a, a uh, rebel voice in a lot of, of this, the companies I've worked with and the places that I go. It's a part of my identity. So there's a bit of like a self-actualization of confirming my identity by being, quote unquote, the rebel. So the, I just want to acknowledge that, first of all. Hmm. Um, okay. Secondly, um, I, yeah, I think we need a rethink across the board. I'm telling you, the last several years, I've taught at the MFA level for close to 10 years, around 10 years now. And yeah, there seems to be a desire from the actors more than even from me for a new model. Um, they can sense it. They can feel it. And, it. and as always, the youth have it figured out before the middle-aged and, and older have it figured out, like any kind of movement, you know, whether it be political, social, what have you. It's usually the... 16 to 24 year olds that are <laughs> way ahead of the game mm. and I can sense it in them. So yeah, I, it looks like this rather than having a quote unquote voice teacher, we don't call that person a voice teacher. They're an acting teacher. A speech teacher is an acting teacher. A movement teacher is an acting teacher because by calling them anything else, it gives status to the acting teachers. Right. And I teach acting as well. So I can say that cause I, I operate on, on both sides of that, that, that um, debate, that by calling everyone first an acting teacher with different specializations starts to already change the model. For example, let's say I'm an acting teacher that really loves that Stanislavskian-based, let's say, more modern Uta Hagen, more modern than that um, approach. Well, then I'm an acting teacher who specializes in um, circumstantial work from the Stanislavskian model. Well, that should be my, 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 a much sexier title than that, but that should be my title, opposed to uh, I'm the acting teacher and that person's the voice teacher. No, the voice teacher is an acting teacher, right? And their concentration is how does voice and breath align with intention for the acting? But it puts us all as the same kind of specialists. So, because what I found is acting teachers love to poo-poo um, voice and movement teachers as being sometimes even a distraction to what they're trying to do in the studio. I'll get that all the time. Shame like, on oh, them. Can, well, can you saw oh, their articulation? They're just too speechy now. They don't sound real. I've had teachers tell me like, they're just breathing so much now. Um, okay, let's, let's be a bit more specific about what that means. Um, so there's these disconnects that happen because of, I think, that disconnection in, in our titles. So I think retitling things is a start. And then getting people, like I mentioned, in a room together more often, which I know is tough logistically to figure out with salaries and time commitments and, and concentrations, but to build it, this is a chair or a head of program's job. They should do whatever it takes 
to make sure that everyone cross paths several times throughout a semester so everyone keeps gelling and checking in with everyone's progress, both as teacher and as student. Um, and that's where the, the grand experiment would begin. And then who knows? But I mm. think that's where I w- it would start. Well, it's interesting because, you know, as an acting teacher, and I'm not, I don't have a voice special, I mean, I've studied all that, but as an acting teacher, if you're not incorporating the things that you, the students are learning in movement and and voice, I don't know why you're teaching acting. I mean, yeah. do you know what I'm saying? Right, right, right. I right. mean, it because, you know, I, I say to my students, the the number one and two tools you have as, a, as an actor are your voice and your body. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think what you're saying as an acting teacher might say, well, it's the imagination or it's your intention or whatever. But, right. but all of that flows out of your voice and your body. I mean, it's like, yes. with, you know, without it, without those two things, you might as well be doing a podcast, you know, or, right. <laughs> you know, or, or painting a painting. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of acting teachers also um, probably have had experience with a mid-century model of voice and speech training that was very prescriptive, meaning that there is a proper or right way to speak, which, of course, is always code for a more Euro-Anglo way of speaking that sounds basically more British, because from the RP model, uh, we were told as early settled Americans that there was you know, a high-class way of speaking that proved that you were smart that proved that you came from money, wealth, and history, that you fill in the blank. And that creates status that can be protected. So, boys and speech is no different. All of a sudden, there was a way, even if you're doing contemporary work, that, oh, to have a regionalism is a quote-unquote bad thing. To have that sound is, is not, doesn't sound smart or whatever um, dogmatic approach you might prescribe. So then, acting teachers who are really into genuine, authentic, front-footed, moment-to-moment acting, see all that stuff and, and maybe sense that it was in conflict to what they were doing in the studio. So then that's perhaps part of that disconnect. But nowadays, right. most voice and speech teachers um, that continue to be desirable and, and hired, I'm finding, because the, the, the job descriptions when search committees are hiring voice and speech teachers are starting to include more descriptive models like Miller Voice Method and Knight Thompson speech work and models that that are much more flexible and don't discard uh, populations based on a different background from a Euro-Anglo-centric background. And but that d- makes it much it more viable de- and exciting. Yeah, doesn't it all depend on the text? I mean, yeah. and, and don't you want a flexible voice so that if you do need to do you know, your Skinner thing, you can do your Skinner thing, but yeah. if, you, if you need to do Stephen Adley Gurgis, you can do that. There it is. Like it's toolbox, you know, which is another cliche, but very true. It's it's all. How can we train people uh, to basically jump into tools, really get good at sharpening that, this, and the other, and then put in the toolbox and know how and when to apply. And if a director wants a certain tool for a certain text and you don't agree with that, well, you can have that disagreement and choose not to do that job. Um, But it's always a choice opposed to an assumption that this is the right way in or the way it should be done. All right, sign me up for your school. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> school of two. Revenue will be yeah, a right. short to begin. That's right. <laughs> <laughs>